Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Okay, welcome everyone to episode 10 of the Rust Belt Rundown. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Peter Brown, the founder of Six Shooter Coffee. Peter, what's up, man? How are we doing? Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good, man. All things considered, uh, doing good. I'm excited about this episode, especially because we get to start with Ohio U. We're both graduates of Ohio, the state university. Yes. Uh, yes. Tell me about your time at OU, the fun part, and then we'll get into the serious part. Uh, how much fun did, okay. you have, did you have down there? I, I had, I had a ton of fun. I had too much fun. Um, I was still down there when um, we were on quarters. So yes. our school year would go honestly into June, I yep. think early June. And so the weather was fantastic in Southeast Ohio and the other colleges were out. So we had even more college age students down there. Um, so it was a good time. for the kids that didn't get to experience it that. I mean, we, it was I such agree. an advantage. Oh dude, it was, it was fantastic. I, I loved it. And, and I spent two summers down there too. You had to get year round leases anyway. So I just utilized them. Um, and I, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. Um, I was on the rugby team down there, so would play, I would practice through the summers and stuff like that and had a good group of guys to hang around with. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I'm, uh, now that I'm back in Columbus, I'm excited to be able to get down there a lot more often, but, uh, yeah. so, so you were an education major. Um, were you intent on making a career of teaching or was becoming an entrepreneur always the goal? No, the goal is teaching. Um, I, what, so I, yeah, I was um, a social studies, um, integrated social studies major, um, and the goal was to be a high school social studies teacher. I was substitute teaching, and I had some, you know, some longer term sub jobs, and I was kind of on that track. But while I was doing all of that, I was starting Six Shooter Coffee, and to a point where I had to decide whether I was going to run with the company or whether I was going to continue on the teaching track and um, just decided to go with the company. Wow. And so this was right after graduation? Yeah, this was a couple years after. Um, Yeah, I graduated in 2012 and the 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 shop itself did not get off the ground until 2016, but I started roasting in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I, the, you have a classic entrepreneur story, like started in the basement. We're going to get to that later. I'm excited about that, but it's, it's interesting. Like, do you, what do you make of, and and look, everybody's situation is different, but uh, my wife did the same thing, went to school to be a teacher upon graduation said no. And, and went a completely different route was, was what for you personally, what happened that made you really switch? Was it more of you really starting to get involved in the coffee industry or was it like, Hey, I don't know if I really love this. Like I thought I was gonna. It was, it was a combination of those things. Um, I knew, 
I knew what the teaching path would look like. And so part of it was just kind of curiosity. Like I didn't want to live with any regret. So I wanted to see what the entrepreneur life would lead. So that was one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect was um, teaching had really changed a lot from when I graduated high school in 2008 to what the classroom looked like in 2014. So just in a span of six years, it changed a lot. Um, classroom sizes increased, um, budgets were shrinking, and classroom management just became harder. If you disciplined the kids, yep. the parents were more like, well, what did the teacher do? Whereas when I was in high school, if I got in trouble, the parents were definitely on the side of the teacher. They were very <laughs> mad at the student. So yep. that whole aspect, it's like, you're just taking all, my, all the control out of my hands. And um, so that helped my decision, but that was not fully the reason why I decided to switch gears. Yeah, that's, that's such an interesting point too. And I, I think that's honestly, I mean, teachers, I think we're always thankless roles, thankless I think, positions, yes. mm-hmm. but now more than ever, it's almost like, I don't know what that paradigm shift was where the parents really were so worried about their kids getting in trouble. Like when I got in trouble, I wasn't allowed to speak. Like we sat there, yeah. I, remember I went to the principal's office in like fifth grade. I don't know what I did, got in trouble at recess or something. And I just had to sit there and listen. And then I went home and I got grounded. Like there wasn't a conversation, right? <laughs> now that's exactly what happened. I would come home and I was just, I was terrified coming home. I wasn't that thinking, was okay, my parents got me back. I was like, oh man, I'm done. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and that's not, that's just not the case anymore. So, yeah, you know, so. yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, but, but yeah, so yeah, I decided to go the entrepreneurial route and haven't looked back. Yeah, I think you made the right decision, man. Um, All right, so let's dig in uh, to your time at Athens. I know you mentioned you played rugby. How did that come about? Did you play that in high school, or was that a college thing? And then were you involved in any other groups or organizations? Yeah, so um, I I did play rugby in high school. You mentioned you're down in Columbus now. I played for Worthington for four years. Um, And... I kind of said I wasn't, I was like done after high school, but I went to a couple matches just to watch when I was down there and kind of got hooked again. So I joined the team and started playing again. Um, And that was a blast. I was a part of a student Senate for a couple years. Um, And then I was in the honors education program and we were a cohort so we just moved through so we moved through together so those were the organizations I was a part of yeah that's so interesting so so you were with the same kids for four years yep Mm -hmm. yeah the ones that decided to stick with it some some you know realized mid-school that they didn't want to be teachers anymore and that was fine but um, I don't think we added anybody so yeah we were just in the cohort and we went through it all together did you like that or not like it I liked it a lot um, just um, because it was only the education classes. Obviously, everyone had different disciplines. So I was still, um, you know, I would take my Italian classes and my history classes and stuff, and I would get to meet other people that way. But it was nice knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your cohort and how you could work together with them to help you guys get through school. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. So we got to ask, what's your favorite coffee shop and what's your favorite bar in Athens? Down in Athens. Um, so the favorite coffee shop, 
I mean, you got to go with Donkey, right? It's the most Probably. classic one, I think. <laughs> and then, um, and then favorite bar, I, I hung out at the Cat's Eye lot, ah. but then, uh, but then the pub was also a big favorite of mine too. Um, was Cat's Eye so, the Steelers bar? No, Brown's bar. I wow. think it was. Um, it was right beside. I think Lucky's was. It was across Lucky's. the street from Lucky's, which yeah, was the Steelers right. bar. Yeah. yeah. So now it was the Browns backers bar. Um, so yeah, that was where I, I did not go to. They were not super nice bars. Um, <laughs> that's just what I where I like to hang out. Um, I liked Cat's Eye a lot. They had like the Friday Progressive where you could. Uh, it started. I think it was like thirty five cent Miller Lights, oh. and then every half hour it like increased by either a nickel or a quarter and so um and so we would just sit down and play cards and and just hang out and yeah so that was that was i loved it i loved it i try explaining to people like if you spent twenty dollars on a night out in athens you woke up livid yeah Yeah. how did i do this and that could include an eight dollar burrito you know what i mean like so really 12 bucks you that's all you needed Exactly. I remember um, every time you started a tab, the bartenders were always sure to tell you, hey, it's a $10 minimum for credit cards. Mm-hmm. Because like there was a real decent shot that you weren't going to spend $10 at that bar. It's like another world. Yeah. Yeah. Another world. Unbelievable. All right. So let's jump into Six Shooter. I definitely mm-hmm. want to get into how it all came about, the origin story, and, and break down the basement. I mean, not too many people are making coffee in their basement. So let's, let's dig in. How did this all happen? Yeah, I started on a, um, I bought a one pound roaster um, from this website called Sweet Maria's. And it was this hot top roaster. And I also got my green beans from there as well. Um, and just place that in the basement because it does give off, you know, a roasting smell. Um, even though it has a filter in the back of it that kind of pulls that out of the air a little bit but um yeah i would i just started in my basement and i did that for a while but it was really hard to scale on a one pound roaster so it took a long time to fulfill orders um so selling to originally who was buying so you know different smaller local grocery stores and local coffee shops in the area um so like one of my first clients was the grocery OHC. And at the time they were on Lorraine Avenue in Cleveland. Um, now they're on Detroit um, in just small little places, you know, we're talking five, 10 pounds a week, but you get five of those. Okay. Now I'm doing 50 pounds a week. And then, but then 50 pounds a week on a one pound roaster took a long, long, long time. Yeah. So um, shortly, probably I'd say three to six months into that, I found a guy who was another local roaster and he had a five kilogram roaster, which is 10 pounds. And like, that was like a big deal. Um, So I asked if we could share the space. He was like more than happy to. And, um, and then that was like really nice. That, that was, and we've since scaled from that, but that was the jumping off point. I knew like if I got a big order in, it was going to be, I would be more happy about it than like piss that I had spent time in front of the roaster. Yes. So that was a big um, change for the company there. And so, so 
how do you go about what is step one? So you start making coffee and then are you walking in the grocery stores and just yeah. yourself? I mean, just yep. grassroots as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Really pounding pavement, knocking on doors. Um, just uh, hearing tons of no's and, uh, and, uh, and then you just have to be happy about the yeses. So yeah, just walking into places that I knew might, might pick me up. And, uh, and it was as simple as that. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so tell us about the name. I know it stems from uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. How did that come about? Yeah. So I was, um, I, I am a little bit of a history buff and um, LBJ, regardless of his um, political leanings, I think is a, is a fascinating historical figure. Um, so to reference that or just to tie in history, like another part of my personality, you know, the legend has it that he would have people on his ranch down in Texas and um, his guests would say that the coffee he served them was so strong it could float a revolver. Mm. And so I just decided to play off that, kind of incorporate that in, and, and that's how the, the name came to be. I love it. That's awesome, man. That's very cool. Um, I don't think people realize how much production and manufacturing actually goes into coffee. I certainly didn't um, a couple of years ago. I don't know what I was reading. Probably just one of those like lists of like how, how your coffee actually gets to your cup. And I was fascinated with it. Right. So explain the process to us. How does it, is, it how does it begin and end? It's crazy. Um, so coffee grows in many different regions. You have African regions, Indonesian regions, South American and Central American regions. Um, it's actually a cherry. Um, it's a fruit. And, uh, and then you have the seeds of that, of that cherry. And when you peel all that back, you have what we were, the seed is the quote unquote bean. And, um, and then there's many different ways to process that. You can use wet processing where you kind of use high powered water that separates the fruit from the seed, or you can use dry processing where you let the fruit dry out and then you separate it after that. So there's multiple different ways to process it there. And that's all happening usually on the farm. And then after that happens, it's put into burlap bags, which are around 75 kilos, so around 150 pounds. Um, and then those bags are put on pallets. And the pallets are usually 10 bags a piece. So you're looking at about 1,500 pounds a pallet. And then those are putting into shipping containers. And I don't know how many pallets go into a shipping container, but if you can visualize that, it's, it's a lot. Yep. So then those get shipped to different ports. Um, the main port we work out of is in New Jersey. And from the port, it's then put on to semis and brought to us in Ohio. And we have a loading dock where we, re we ship and receive. And we receive these pallets off of our loading dock, put them in our roasting facility. And that's where we take the green beans, put them in our roaster. We turn them the color that you're used to seeing before it goes into your cup. And, the, and then we distribute it to different businesses in Northeast Ohio and serve it out of our coffee shop. How long does that process take? Roughly. Seed, seed to cup? Yeah. So we're not involved in the farming aspect of it, but it can take, 
it can take many, many, many years to get a coffee farm off the ground, but we, we contract based on the year. So, um, we work with an importer and we say we kind of guess how much we're going to go through in that year from a specific country. And we tell that importer that, Hey, we're going to buy this many bags from you over the course of the year. We just don't want it all at once. So we will, we will buy this from you, but you need to hold it at, at your location. And then we'll tell you when we need, um, the pallet to come in and then we'll pay you for that pallet, but we will go through it. We're on the hook to pay for that for the, for the year. Got it. Um, so once we say we'd like it to come to us from the port, just takes a few days Got it. and then, and then we can, we can roast it right then and there. So from the port to the cup a week, um, but we contract a year in advance. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I already know I wouldn't be um, a successful coffee shop owner because I would only offer what I like. And that's about three different types of coffee. So how do you, how do you go about learning where you want to source your beans from? Like, what, like how did that process come about? Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, my GM does most of our sourcing um, and her and I do have different palettes. Um, she prefers like the brighter, coffees and I like the earthier even sometimes darker smokier coffees um, but we have any it depends because everything's seasonal but anywhere from six to eight different offerings at any given time so we kind of just try to cover our bases Got it. and we ask for samples ahead of time before we contract it and yeah, we, we do cuppings that. and tastings and we see if it's something we're going to like and um, and we just play with it before we decide what to pull the trigger on. Got it. Okay. So that's how the tasting happens. You don't necessarily need to travel to the country. They'll, they can send stuff. They can send samples to us and, and we can, we can go from there. Got it. Okay. So you mentioned you and your GM, you guys have different palettes. What makes six shooter unique or different from other Cleveland based coffee shops? Well, we've just been working really, really, hard on our roasting um i try to stay above trend um i think you know the trend right now is super light very i mean in my opinion somewhat underdeveloped and i think we've and even if that is popular right now i don't think history will look back on that kindly so we've kind of steered clear of that trend. We still accentuate the bright flavor notes and we still go light on some of our roasts, but I don't believe the underdeveloped coffees are where it's at. And that's kind of where we're different than some of the roasters at the moment. So explain underdeveloped. Like, what does that mean in terms of coffee? Well, with roasting, there's like a lot of different factors when you're, when you're roasting a bean and that can be airflow, temperature, how high your flame is and, um, and time in the drum. And so um, underdeveloped is usually less of a lot of that, less temperature, less time, you know, it just, you know, undercooked, I guess, would be the simplest way to put it. Got it. Okay. Um, this kind of goes hand in hand, but back in 2017, uh, you were quoted in a Crane's profile saying, source a good bean and get out of the way. 
explain yeah. that philosophy, right? I mean, talk, talk to us about how that all came about. Well, you definitely cannot make a bad bean good, but you can make a good bean bad. So we make sure we're sourcing like the, the best bean we can um, to start. And then we really want to, and we're, we know what the characteristics of that bean are. Mm-hmm. And we just want to make sure that we bring out those characteristics. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. So backing up a little bit, you're, you start roasting in your basement, you're pounding the pavement, you're grinding, you're knocking on doors. After that, let's say when you get to the 10 pound roaster, who's your first hire and why? Like how did, like who, who should that be? And, and who did you hire? Yeah. Um, my GM was the first hire. Um, she's amazing. She's still with us. Um, I just knew she had been in the coffee industry for a long time. Okay. I really trusted, um, trusted her too. Like, so she handles a lot of our money too. And that's like huge for an entrepreneur to have someone that you can just trust. Um, but I loved that her attention to detail and, and her appreciation for quality. And so that was the hire that I made. And, um, it was, it was fantastic decision. Love it. Okay. Um, switching gears a little bit, let's talk about your social media and how important Mm -hmm. that's been in your growth. And and you had a hilarious post uh, about a week and a half ago after 40 days have passed without a car crash, which we're going to get to. Um, but (laughs) tell us about how you engage, you can, and you connect with people through your channel. Yeah, we have um, we have a marketing and branding person. His name is um, Aaron Seacrest, and um, his his Instagram handle is OK Pants. He uh, he has been an absolute game changer for us. Um, he handles all of our social media and like bag design, um, you name it. In sure. terms of branding, he's he's like our guy, and he just really captures our voice. Um, the thing that I've always wanted to convey is that we care about quality, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and, and that's always been very important to me. And I just think he just nails that 100%. Yep. Yep. Love it. Um, all right, let's get to the car crashes. I mean, reading about it, it doesn't even seem, it it literally feels like iced tea is going to pop out of a, whatever show, NCIS show or whatever show he's on. I mean, how does, how does this happen? I don't even know if I have a real question other than I just want an opportunity for you to share the craziness of this. Um, it's unfortunately just uh, seems like a lot of substance abuse, but um, for the listeners that don't know, um, we were at, you know, our, our first location was on the corner of 161st and East 161st in Waterloo Road and we have now moved locations to East 156 and Waterloo Road. But when we were at our old location, we had a car in the middle of the night or later in the evening run into our building. We weren't open, luckily, but just crashed into our building, just messed up a turn on the road. We never caught the person. I assume they were intoxicated. They were, but The car was so, able to drive off? I didn't even know that. Yeah. So we were, you know, closed down for just a couple of days. We were able to get back up and running. Um, we had since moved locations. Um, and, 
we had a similar thing happen this time we did find the guy. He definitely was massively intoxicated. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was crazy. We, we were this second time we were back up and running in a day, which was great. But, um, that, and that time we were open, which was scary for some of the employees. Um, but we're back up and running again, but I don't know how it does happen. Um, <laughs> especially after the second time, you just have to laugh. It's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. What were yeah. you guys always planning on moving or was this kind of like, okay. Yeah, we were lucky enough to just need more space actually in our shop. We were outgrowing our space, which is a fantastic problem to have. Um, we moved into a new space exactly one month before shutdown, which wasn't great. But um, so we can't really exhibit the space, how, it, how it's meant to be seen, but, um, but it'll get there someday. Unbelievable, man. When I, uh, when I was telling my family about this episode and then about the two car crashes, I mean, people's heads whipped and they were like, the yeah. same location? <laughs> yeah. The same person? They're like, who's after this guy? Like, what? Why does I know. I had cousins who thought it was somebody after me for sure. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, it what, seems what like other it. wouldn't you think? Yeah. yeah, right. Somebody's trying to take you out. It's unbelievable. I mean, first and foremost, we're happy nobody was hurt. I mean, that's huge. Yes, absolutely. So, yep. Good Lord. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, all right. So transitioning a little bit, I want to talk about um, your travels to the Dominican Republic. Awesome work you guys do down there um, with some local nonprofits to help run medical clinics and build communities. How did that come about? Yeah, that's just through a, um, that's a nonprofit called Medwish. Okay. And um, they do a lot of great work. Um, one of, one of, uh, we have an investor and he's on the board of this, uh, of this nonprofit Medwish. And, um, I was just lucky enough to go on a trip down there. Um, and they're investing in the community down there and they put on clinics and they bring down medical supplies. And, uh, I was just a lay person, but I was an extra set of hands and just happy, just happy to help. I I'm by no means any part of the brains of it or anything like that. But, uh, it was, it was a great trip and uh, it's great to be able to help the people down there. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, similar note, I want to ask you about um, Six Shooter and, and how you guys pledge to contribute a portion of your proceeds to organizations, empowering people re-entering society from incarceration. What, um, what made you choose that? Like, you know, there's so many different things that you can help with, obviously. And, and what made you go down that, that path? Well, I just think that's like, um, one, it helps individuals, but I think it can have such a great impact on the community at large. Um, um, it's just something that speaks to me. Um, we've worked with different organizations, um, like Passages, uh, the Lutheran Metropolitan Ministry, Edwin's, um, the People Objective, and not only do I think, um, does it just help those individuals' lives, but I think it can help the community in so many different ways, getting these people back to work. Um, you know, they've served their debt to society, and it just seems like the loving right thing to do. So, no, I love it, man. I mean, it's obviously super important. How, how does that work in terms of, like, are you hiring some, or are you contributing to the organizations that help? hiring so we are contributing to the organizations um at the moment but what we're finding through some of them like the lutheran metropolitan ministry and edwin's is 
Uh, some of them have arms where they are food service related. Got it. So we're kind of exploring how we might be able to incorporate that into our model as well. Got it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, all right, man, you made it, you made it to the end. So the, the <laughs> last, the last question is always super easy, but we, uh, we love to have our guests spread some love to other Cleveland entrepreneurs. Um, and you can answer one or two, but one is what's your favorite Cleveland restaurant? Um, and then maybe what's your favorite uh, to go option since COVID started back in March. Favorite Cleveland restaurant. Um, So to go is, is pretty easy for me. Larder, I think is unbelievable. I think they're doing great, great work. Um, their product is fantastic and their service is amazing. And, um, so it's, it's a Jewish deli, but they do a lot of work with Koji and fermentation and they do a lot of foraging and it's just a really interesting, fresh concept. And I, I just love everything they're doing. So, and they're, they're, Right now they're all grab and go and it's, but they're amazing. So awesome. Um, love them. And then in terms of a Cleveland restaurant, unfortunately a lot, my, some of my favorite ones have closed down. Uh, my two favorites were both on East fourth and it was um, greenhouse and Lola and both, uh, both are no longer. Um, I, you know, so six shooter man that's a fair answer well yeah that <laughs> you should say that another amazing to go option is cleveland biscuit heads and they okay. they serve breakfast biscuits out of our out of our shop oh i love um it. yeah the, yeah, the pictures of those bacon egg and cheeses i mean oh, they're please so good i don't know how they're oh next time they're I'm amazing I'm coming up you have to absolutely yeah um yeah, in terms of restaurants, I haven't really gone out to too many restaurants recently. Um, and the ones that were my favorite are unfortunately no longer. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, the two but as far on. as Larder goes, I think yeah. they're, they're one of the best in the game right now. Yeah. Love it. Um, all right. Well, we'll get you out of here on this. Where can everybody find you, follow you, website, social, all that stuff? Yeah, luckily, it's all super simple. Six Shooter Coffee. And that's uh, six is spelled out S-I-X. So um, sixshootercoffee.com. On Instagram, we're at Six Shooter Coffee. Uh, Twitter, we actually are the number six um, Shooter Coffee. Um, but yeah, really easy to find us. I think we're the top hit on Google, all that stuff. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate you coming on yeah. and, and taking the time. Paul, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.